0: Hello and welcome to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm your getter done, co-host and executive producer, Greg Masters, steering the ship at Health Innovation Media. With me in our cutting-edge virtual studio is the dynamic co-founder and principal co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein. He's also the driving force behind Accountable Health LLC as its president. Pop Health Week is where the magic happens. It's where industry frontrunners from diverse sectors like payers, providers, patients, vendors, and regulators come together to exchange top-notch strategies and insights in population health management. Want to get in touch? Swing by www.popupstudio.productions or give me a shout-out on Twitter at Greg Masters MPH. And remember, that's Greg with two Gs or connect with Fred Goldstein via FSGoldstein on Twitter and www.AccountableHealthLLC.com. Today, we are thrilled to chat with Jeffrey Hogan, the visionary president of Upside Health Advisors and the co-founder of the Moving to Value Alliance. On today's show, we dive into the pivotal role of brokers and consultants in the health benefits procurement journey, Especially in smaller self-funded groups, HR managers often lean on this expertise, even when transparency and analytics might be sparse. Stay updated with Jeff's initiatives at the UpsideEffect.com. And now let's dive right in. Over to you,
1: Fred.
2: Thanks so much, Greg. And Jeff, welcome to Pop Health Week.
1: Thanks so much. Uh, really happy to be here.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure to get you on. We're actually here at the uh, Health Benefits Nation Conference. Obviously, you've had a major role to play in healthcare around the country with your work. So, why don't you give our audience a little sense of your background?
1: Sure. I am the president of Upside Health Advisors, uh, work primarily in payment reform and care transformation across the healthcare ecosystem. I've been in healthcare for 38 years. Um, the most interesting thing about my background is that I've been in pretty much every area of the healthcare ecosystem, working with providers and health systems and big employers and Taft-Hartley groups and state governments and what have you. Uh, I spent 30 years working managing New England for a large general agency uh, with roughly billion, a billion dollars of commercial premium or premium equivalent. And I've spent 25 years with my health consultancy and advisory focused really on the supply side of health care, which is really important right now.
2: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people say they're in healthcare benefits advising or consulting or brokerage services, but I look at what you've done over the years and how you look at this is very unique. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of how you approach this area?
1: Sure, sure. So I, I had the opportunity to work with employers for many, many years, and it really wasn't until about six or seven years ago that People started to focus on healthcare values specifically. Instead of looking at things reactively, we look at the fact that roughly 18% of our GDP is devoted to healthcare. And are we getting value from that 18%? The answer is really no, that we have very fragmented care and non-integrated care, and our outcomes are extremely variable. So over the course of the last six or seven years, focusing on the supply side of healthcare in particular, and focusing on outcomes and access to care, Really seems to be important, and particularly now with the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, where we're asking plan fiduciaries to really pay attention and to be accountable for how they spend money on their beneficiaries and their beneficiaries' money. This has come to the fore, uh, so we're. We're in our glory right now finally uh, kind of fixing this stuff, looking at populations for their specific needs and apportioning the right resources to them.
2: And before we get into uh, some of it more in depth, can you talk a little bit about the CAA and what that actually is and what it means for some of the people in the audience who may not know?
1: Sure. Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 basically imposes new responsibilities on the named fiduciaries for every employer. So it doesn't matter if it's a small group or a middle market group or a large group. There is a named fiduciary who is responsible for how contracts are made and how money is spent out of that plan. It's not dissimilar to the same thing that was imposed about 17 years ago upon retirement plans when we saw tremendous abuses in costs where uh, we apportioned all kinds of ridiculous costs, front end, back end, in the middle, all around. And we didn't provide a great product or a solution for beneficiaries. Same thing is occurring now with the Consolidated Appropriations Act. So by the end of this year, employers actually have to attest that they've removed gag clauses from their contracts that prevent them from seeing what they're spending on healthcare services. Imagine that. Most employers don't know what they're spending on healthcare services, and there's very little accountability. So, CAA demands that they kind of understand this and that they appropriately contract for services on behalf of their beneficiaries. So, plans will have to begin to look at the data
2: that they're getting either through their TPA or whatever and say, Hey, we're making wise decisions about that, or we're in trouble potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is this is this is the key. Data and analytics is really important, and if we look historically, particularly in the commercial health markets, we know that most employers have really gotten bad analytics on their data. Um, most often, the employer designates the HR director to go out and procure or to buy health services or to buy the health plan. And they, in turn, convey that responsibility to a broker or consultant who receives compensation uh, from uh, health plans and other parties. And, And now, under this new arrangement, the named fiduciary is responsible for getting their data. Imagine that, actually knowing... What things cost, what they should cost, and more importantly, what they could cost if they paid attention to it in an accountable fashion.
2: And as I understand it, employees can then say, hey, we think this is not being handled responsibly and do something about that from a legal perspective.
1: Correct, correct. And it's again, the analogy goes back to retirement plans. We've had 17 years of class action lawsuits. For breach of fiduciary duties where plaintiff's attorneys have acted on behalf of classifications of employees or employee groups or uh, others who feel that their money has not been spent responsibly and go out and create a, a breach of fiduciary uh, duty lawsuit. So there's a lot of experience. In this space, and the plaintiff's attorneys are just salivating for the opportunity in the healthcare space. And, um, you know, so along with that, what you've sort of done over the years
2: has been rather innovative. You work with some really large plans from states, et cetera, and I assume as well with smaller plans. What do you really look for? How? What sort of advice are you giving these plants so that they can be successful? Everyone's talking about how they try to do this. We're not making any progress, but you've been able to show some progress in that. What are you doing?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, good question. You know, even down to the small group level right now, there are products in the marketplace that will furnish employers with data and analytics and utilization and what have you. And there are things that employers can do in their own communities. So we have uh, the RAND Hospital Transparency Report which will show an employer in a particular geographic area which health systems are charging too much and have bad quality and that there's spending on that. So, so being able to get data and analytics in the hands of even the smallest employer seems to inspire them. For most employers that self-fund their, their health plans, we have level-funded plans down to 20 lives now in the marketplace the largest fixed costs they have in their plan is for stop loss. And if in fact we can provide them with data and analytics that shows them that they're paying five or six or seven or eight times what they should, for those high-volume services, uh, knee replacements and hips and shoulders and cabbages and colonoscopies and things like this. If we can show them that they can finance their plans in an appropriate fashion by looking at their data and looking at their analytics, they change their behavior. Uh, they, They act in a fiduciary capacity. And actually what they do is to recapture capital back from their plan that can go to wages and be apportioned otherwise. How difficult is that to do? Everybody talks about it, these brokers come in, they say, hey, we're gonna
2: help you get the best plan, this is gonna save you money, and then they see the next year their premiums
1: go up and their premiums go up. It's, It's really hard at the beginning. So most of the commercial health data and analytics companies that are out there in the marketplace do not furnish analytics back to an employer, which says this is your biggest problem. You're paying this hospital system five or six or seven hundred percent of Medicare with bad quality. They don't show that cancer is, you know, their largest uh, uh, issue, or in fact that there's no precision associated with it, or in fact that MSK is number two and everybody is going. Uh, to be cut. So there there hasn't been this level of analytics in the past that is actionable, you know, that shows them actually what they should be working on. That's changed. Uh, so with CAA, we are seeing folks come into the marketplace now that are really providing great analytics. They're actually going back and looking at retrospective claims data two, three, five, ten years and showing the fiduciary how poorly they have financed the plan and what the opportunity is to fix that appropriately. Number one. Number two, we're also seeing the supply side of healthcare change dramatically. So we see in the marketplace, and I talked about it today in one of our panels, this new tech enabled advanced primary care model come to the fore, and everybody is investing in this. And basically, especially with the Consolidated Appropriations Act, this allows an employer to attribute advanced primary care to their beneficiaries in a capitated total cost of care rubric of accountability for the employers. Why, why is this so important suddenly? Because we have a convener. We have someone who is ultimately responsible for comorbidities, care pass, longitudinal care, even the point solutions that are all out there in the marketplace that employers hate to integrate into their care pass to manage total cost of care appropriately.
2: So we've got all these different names of primary care, right? So Give me a definition of what an advanced primary care
1: is. It's a a really great question. So about three years ago, just to try and give some credibility uh, to my my answer, three different organizations, credible organizations, um, the Purchasers Business Group on Health, the Primary Care Collaborative, and the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchasers came together and said, This is what the tech-enabled advanced primary care paradigm model looks like. Number one, that they have gone through payment reform, that they can handle total cost of care on a budget uh, for a specific capitated cost per member per month. Number one.
0: For those just hopping on board, we're in the delightful company of Jeffrey Hogan the trailblazing president of Upside Health Advisors and co-founder of the Moving to
2: Value Alliance. Let's continue the journey. And let me ask you a question. Sure. When you say total cost of care, do you mean global cap? Yep, for that population, mm-hmm. for, so they're responsible for the primary care expenses and all the rest that flows
1: through into Correct. the system. Correct. Great. It, it's a. It's a. Uh, it is. That is what constitutes payment reform in a paradigm model. Doesn't mean that's what's happening in the marketplace, but there there are uh, instances where this is happening in the marketplace. Number one. Number two, that they're utilizing in integrated practice unit. What is that? Uh, Exactly. That is, uh, you know, uh, wonkish healthcare language. But it's really important. What is an integrated practice unit? And especially as it relates to primary care, when we know no one is going into primary care in the med schools, it means that we can service this population. And it's really important that we're, we're talking about populations that we're servicing here with a team. So the primary care physician is the tip of the spear for the team and manages primarily heavy comorbidities, complex care, and what have you. Uh, the advanced practice RN, the APRNs, one or two uh, per team, are handling most handling most of the clinical duties. It also includes a PharmD as part of the team and a behaviorist or more as part of the team. Generally, we also see specific health coaches who are involved as part of this integrated practice unit. So that is the, you know, that's the type of thing, GenMed, Iora, you know, others use this type of team in the marketplace, and um, it seems to work pretty well out there, so that's part of the paradigm model. Uh, Second part, the care transformation means that this advanced primary care organization can handle longitudinal care, all the care coordination necessary with specialists and others, maybe point solutions as well uh, for the total cost of care. And the third part I think is really important, it's a consumer aspect, that the organization uses patient-reported outcomes and uses net promoter scores uh, to talk about their behavior or their interaction With this patient as a consumer. So it's a really interesting model, and we've seen variations of it out there. Um, You know, some of the large organizations, the CVSs, and The Walgreens and what have you are now using a pharmacist as part of this care model uh, as well. But the the integrated practice unit is is a new thing. Why is it important the scarcity of primary care physicians in using more of a relevant team to deal with the population-based issues of a group? And it's why it's also critical with this advanced primary care organization that they have really good data on the population so we can break down comorbidities, we can do prevalence and acuity and you know all kinds of really important things. This is where uh, we de-risk employer populations and we align the interests of the supply side with the population we're servicing.
2: Right, and you're providing, in essence, you are doing population health through this practice. And when somebody puts this in, what would you expect to see as outcomes?
1: It's a, it's a really good question, and you know the, the bottom line is um, immediately we see agency. Uh, I mean, that's the best answer that I could give you, where in the past we may see all kinds of fragmentation. The whole notion is here, when the advanced primary care organization looks at the population data, That they are working with that fiduciary, who suddenly has to say, "This is what matters most." You know, these are the things that have not worked in the past. Let me give you some examples of that. So, for example, on the pharmacy side, uh, we we know that med pharmacy, you know, J and Q codes can vex populations from a cost point of view. We know that in certain areas, catastrophic claims for cancer chemo. At 225 or 250, 275 thousand for that episode that hit the stop loss. That these may be the most important things. Can we set up site of care, freestanding infusion as part of our uh, service? Can we get data relative to the two percent of the population who is consuming the specialty drugs on the PBM side and the med pharmacy side? to determine efficacy of those drugs? Are we creating accountability for those types of things? So, so the answer is aligning the strategies uh, of the population, the employer, with the strategies of the advanced primary care organization for specific outcomes. And it's a little bit at a time. You know, we, we see many employers will say, MSK is the second largest cost category. This is the easiest thing for us to tackle in the first year. We need you to bring on board a point solution who can manage low and medium acuity MSK so they don't end up at the orthopod getting cut. Uh, so it, it is all over the place at this point and it's really dependent on the area that a particular group is in because we know there is more variation in cost and quality in specific areas that is why advanced primary care can come to an employer and promise things that often the health plan cannot do themselves with their open network
2: right and you've so you've sort of covered this primary care model you've talked about it seems like each one of these then would sort of be a one-off based on the data. You're taking the data in. So you mentioned MSK. How do you solve for that
1: whole specialist other
2: area that can consume huge dollars?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, the, uh, I'll, I'll speak to the state that I live in, which is Connecticut, um, 169 towns and cities, each of which do everything differently, you know? And um, I'm, I'm fond of referring to Connecticut as the land of frozen molasses. You know, uh, nothing changes. Al- although suddenly we have six big national advanced primary care organizations have, who have moved into the state and are buying legacy primary care groups to do what we're describing here. So specifically on MSK, if, if we look often for employers when we look at their population data, MSK is the second cost category after cancer that is hitting their stop loss or considered catastrophic claims. Why? Uh, We have huge variation for arthroplasty. You know, it's it's easy. And every employer can look at their group and it's expensive. Um, You know, I have seen in my own state and other states that we've worked in that a knee that should cost twenty two thousand five hundred dollars costs a hundred grand. Why? They pay the twenty two thousand five hundred dollars, and then they bill for the infection and the complication that costs seventy five thousand dollars. And this is not unusual uh, if we if we look at the data. So specifically for MSK. Low and medium acuity can be resolved often with a point solution, if it is integrated appropriately to deal with strains and sprains, and and we can deal with it episodically with uh, a point solution, even some physical therapy and what have you, as it relates to arthroplasty. Uh, creating APMs, bundles, uh, targeted price and warrantied episodes of care for arthroplasty solves that variability problem. Uh, so it's, it, it's much easier than dealing with cardiometabolic or cancer and what have you, which have uh, many complexities associated with it. But MSK is kind of the easiest cost category uh, for an employer to tackle.
2: And do you look at anything like centers of excellence or things like that and build those into this model as you take it out to employers?
1: Sure. So uh, the the whole center of excellence concept is is a good one, but we're finding now uh, that we can build nuance into these APMs. So what does that mean? You know, if you look at an organization, which I really like, Karam uh, Health, who focused on MSK specifically, What do they do? Um, They create episodes of care, but they look specifically at each of the orthopods, uh, their cost, their quality, their outcomes, the variances of their outcomes, And some get excluded. They create something of a marketplace and say, if you want to earn into this model, your outcomes have to be better, and so do your costs. So there's suddenly a diligence coming to this APM process. Um, Just to give you an example, an underlying uh, example, uh, Professor Porter and Kaplan at Harvard started, and I believe it was both of them, helped to start this company called AvantGarde Health. And AvantGarde Health will go into a health system and a service line, and they'll do an analysis uh, called TDABC, Time-Driven Activity-Based Costing, to see exactly the precision of the care path. Every aspect of care that's touched device and the outcome as well, to, to make sure that the right apportioned resources be, are being brought to it to assure a warranted outcome. So it's pretty cool some of the stuff that's happening out there right now. Mm-hmm.
2: So we've got a few minutes left here. You've talked about the clinical side, the provider side. What about the benefit side? What do you do on that to ensure the quality utilization, et cetera? How are you playing in that area?
1: yeah so so the the benefit side, I think, is going to be the hardest side. Um, we have for for years and years, as I was describing earlier, we've assigned this procurement uh, s- process to HR folks. and you know they're really great folks, but they're not necessarily tra- trained in finance or you know risk management or even procurement for that matter. And we've conveyed that duty to brokers who, you know, often are receiving compensation for placing a a group with a specific health plan and retaining it there, even if they're not doing a really good job. So this whole process, um, one, is changing, has to change. Why? Because this named fiduciary, who's often the CFO of the company, really doesn't know anything about this either, you know, and they need help. Uh, they need help. So th- the the answer to the question is, we'll see. Um, we're, we're starting to see some things happen in the marketplace where CFOs, these named fiduciaries, are reaching out to other parties uh, to help them. Figure out what matters most, what do we have to look at first, um, having a project plan, where are we most exposed? And remember, name fiduciaries have personal liability for for doing this. So the stakes are really high here uh, right now as it relates to this whole issue.
2: Well, fantastic. We've got about a minute left what are your thoughts on, as we talk about advanced primary care, and you talk about these folks coming into Connecticut, the whole acquisition of physicians by these VC firms and others?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked this question. It's, it's a big issue. I work with lots of doctors uh, and health systems and what have you. And I will tell you that most of them right now don't like the owned system at all. You know, physicians got in to uh, this, to practice, and to have great outcomes, and relationships, and what have you. And if you look, there's a lot of organizations around the country, like Privia, and Welvana, and Apollo, and what have you, that continue to give doctors their agency uh, to practice in the way that they want to practice. They're providing them, importantly, with the data and analytics resources to be able to do many of the things that we just talked about, but they're also giving them quality of life. What does that mean? Instead of having a panel of 2,000 patients, no, by moving to this kind of neat integrated practice unit thing, maybe we can do a panel of six or 800 people. So, I will tell you that there is a is a big movement and I'm actually working with some provider groups, some legacy groups who are trying to align with these national organizations that will continue to give them agency over the practice of medicine.
2: Well, that's fantastic. I mean, a great discussion, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And back to you, Greg. And that is a wrap for today's enlightening episode. A big shout out to
0: our dedicated listeners and a special thanks to Jeffrey Hogan, the dynamic president of Upside Health Advisors and co founder of the Moving to Value Alliance. Stay connected with Jeff's groundbreaking work at www.theupsideeffect.com. If Pop Health Week resonates with you, show some love. Like our show on your favorite podcast platform. Share the goodness and hit that subscribe button. Catch us live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for our West Coast buddies, it's 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. From the Heart of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein and yours truly, Greg Masters, we wish you wellness and safety. Until our next rendezvous, take care.